Hi, and welcome to I Need Life. I'm your host, Jack Reedy, and today I'll be with Jason Alvarado as he demos our digital forensics lab capabilities. But before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that we definitely want to hear from you. If you want to get involved, we have two options for you. For the first, we be sure to like, follow, subscribe with notifications turned on for whichever platform you're following us through. Um, so you can see the next time that we go live. And for the second, feel free to drop any questions you might have in chat with a queue in front of them. The mods will grab them and they'll send them our way. Want to give a quick shout out to the Bearded IT Dad and Bob Bob for always showing up with that positive attitude. We see you in chats. Absolutely love it. And thank you so much for being here. Now, if this is your first time watching, welcome. We are live streaming across all social media platforms, including LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Now, let's go ahead and reach out and bring in our uh, defensive operations instructor, Jason Alvarado, to help us uh, to get started and kick off the demo. Hey, hey everyone, Jason? I'm Jason. Um, like Jack said, I'm the defensive operations instructor here at INE. And I have been doing digital forensics and incident response investigations now for probably about 10 years. So um, I picked a couple of great labs for us to show. Um, and I've got my screen up here ready to share. So um, if you want to have a look, what we're going to look go through is this lab 15. I really love this lab um, because it, it ties in what users are doing out there. Um, so we're going to look at their history, recent, we're going to look at some shell bags, some prefetch files, some thumbnail cache, some jump lists and some libraries, and we'll talk about what all those are as we go through the lab. But again, this is lab 15. I'm going to drag this right back over here so we can see the desktop. The next thing we do when you fire up these labs is you're going to kind of end up in our, I'm going to call it like a Windows virtual desktop that we provide you. It's got a ton of tools on it. They're all open source and free tools, so they're really easy to use, and they're great resources for our reporting. So let's go ahead and let's dive right into this lab 15. All right, so we're going to kick off right here. We're going to search for link files. Now, most everybody commonly thinks of link files as being shortcuts, right? We right-click on a file, we create a shortcut, we drag it to our desktop, and then we're able to quickly access a file. But did you know that link files are created quite frequently and automatically in the background? And you don't even notice they're happening. One thing that we can do with the link files is you can look at your Windows search history with them. Why is that good? One great reason why that's good is we're, we're tying records of what the user did to the, to the system. So the system is automatically recording user activity. And that's what we really want to do. We really want to tie what that user did on the system. So let's have a look at some of these link files that we're given. I got to drop into the command line. Now, forgive me, I spend more time in Linux these days than I do in, in DOS, so I might uh, might throw a Linux command out here every now and then on accident. So the one thing we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a tool that they give us called LECMD. And the great thing that I love about our labs on these is it actually 
lets you explore. So let's just do an lecmd.exe-h and throw up the help file and see what this thing does for us. It takes a little bit of time to do these. Some of these tools were written in .NET. They're not the most optimal, but they do a great job. And, and these are a lot of uh, Eric Zimmerman tools. Got to give these tools about 45 seconds. Yeah, that, that's I do that too, uh, Bearded IT Dad. I, I hate it when I get mixed up. Most commonly, I'll do a I'll do a CLS instead of a clear. Okay, so here is what LECMD will do for us. We can parse through directories. We can do all kinds of saves in different file formats, right? And we can do some custom date and time things. And again, what LECMD is going to do is it's going to show us the metadata within an LNK file. So our files on these are all located. In, let me move this over a little bit. If, we, if you go to labs, so all of our tools on here, they're located right here in the C drive DFP tools. And then our labs are all right here. And a lot of times when I do these, I kind of keep these open so I can easily reference to them so you can navigate around. All right, so let's run this file and let's see what it does for us. So what we're doing is we're processing this, this, this link file here, looking at the metadata, and we're looking to see potentially what the user was searching for. Oh, we got some results. Look at that. Okay. So in this shortcut file, what our user searched for was they, they searched for hidden files. That, that's the search term they typed up. One of the great things about this is not only can I tell what they searched for, but if I look up here when the source file was created, on this one I can see that the source file was created on, on 6-21-2016 at 14-57-28 as a timestamp, and that's going to be the local system time. So we have some really great um, documentary evidence and system record evidence, and we have we have exactly what the user typed in. These, these come in handy a lot of times, um, especially when you get into some old court cases, um, such as case, like if you want to say Casey Anthony, they're able to pull the search data, and they can tie it really back to the user because not only does it record you know what you typed but but it also records that that personality in there like misspelling things that you're searching for and that that is really awesome because now that really ties it back to users because you know computers don't always misspell words but i do and and so do a lot of people so that, that that's one that that's one fun one let's scroll down there's another uh neat tool in here that i love it's called shell bags so Anybody that, in the comments want to type in what shell bags do? So Jason, with that, when yeah. you're pulling out the stuff and the timestamps that are there, 
Oh yeah, we'll go back to that. Yeah. Well, you, we don't have to go back to it. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just asking real quick as we're uh, troubleshooting the the brief here. Um, when we talk about timestamps and reporting and things like that, especially in a court of law, it's good to see what is going on around those as well, right? It's not just the specific that specific log type, but you could correlate that timestamp with other events that are happening on the system, right? Exactly. And so that's just one field. So, or one idea in a report that we're going to search for, there's several other things we're going to do. And what we want to do is we want to find these system artifacts that look consistent throughout our investigation. So we may find that same, that, that, that hidden file search term in two or three other places. And we want to find all of those places and correlate them together with those search times. And I'm sorry, my, uh, something happened on my lab here. So I'm having to restart it. No worries. Um, so with, I mean, with that, do you think that it's beneficial between when you're doing investigation on a single endpoint, do you think it's beneficial to find multiple records of the same event occurring? So for example, you're talking about search terms. Is it beneficial to, you know, do you just find it one time and like, Hey, this has very clearly been done. Or do you find all three instances, tie them together and, you know, say, Hey, you know, here's all three of them. Where, where do you cut, draw the line at? Um, so I, I do think that, that you're right. There is a line. Um, you, you, you can continuously jump down that rabbit hole uh, on, on looking for the same thing over and over again. I think once you find it two or three different places, you find it in some of the most common places, you, you just you want to tie it back to that user activity. And once you've got that user activity and you've documented it, it's, you're good to go. And uh, the lab is still building. I'm just watching it over here. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, and that's really what we're doing when we're talking about looking at different types of user activities. So when, when I look at, um, so say we, we just searched for the shortcut file, the LNK files, right? If we were looking for hidden files, um, it rolls us right into the next topic like shell bags. They're, they're gonna find the files and then something like a shell bag is gonna show me their actual, like their file explorer history of them clicking along and through there. So that's good evidence, right? And then um, when we move from there, when they double click on a file, in a lot of cases, that's going to create that prefetch file. So that prefetch file is going to show me what something that, that, that we love, especially in the IR world, is that evidence of execution, right? It's going to show us that somebody actually double clicked on a file or, or ran a file from the command prompt. And, yeah, and, and, and that's... Uh, you can really use all these different tools to kind of trace that path and pick up all those breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With the user interaction as well as the, um, specific process, correct? The one at the top. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been a minute. Since I, it's been a minute since I've been hands-on, but. It is. <laughs> and, um, whereas these aren't necessarily like a, uh, a paid for tool. So it's a little more, you use this utility for this purpose and the next utility for that purpose. These mm -hmm. tools that we show you and give you, you can use these in a professional investigation. So, so, you know, you don't just have to get stuck on the, Oh, I only use this software package for forensics. Um, these, these Zimmerman tools are, they're, they're truly excellent tools and yep. All right. I am ready to show you guys some jump lists. So real Okay, excellent. While you, well, as you're starting up with that, um, do you lose access to that activity after a reboot from uh, Bob Bob? Oh, so that's the that's the the great Windows 
question right there for forensics, you know, um, do, do we lose something if we reboot? The answer is, uh, um, it depends. We don't really lose some of the stuff we're talking about, but we are going to lose some log activity. Some log activity is going to get rolled. Some of, the, some of these things like prefetch files, they have, you know, you can only have a certain amount sometimes in there. And so we might lose those. Um, it's not really something that I worry about too much, especially when we're dealing with system images or if we're going to do like live imaging, we're going to sit down right on there and we're going we're gonna to snap what it looks like and preserve it. So hopefully we won't have a reboot bother us too much. Just fire up Shellbag Explorer here real quick. Also, I'm going to go ahead and say it's uh, one of our users, Sigfredo. Uh, where are these labs located? They're located in our digital forensics professional uh, learning mm -hmm. path on the platform. So if you guys are unaware, you can spin this up and follow along if you wanted to as well. And like I said, and this is just me waiting for this one to come up. It takes a little bit of time sometimes. I mean, at least it's real world demonstrations. I mean, this, this is what happens in the job too. Yeah. And it's, uh, again, I, I, these tools are great tools. They're built by forensicators. They're not built by software developers. So mm -hmm. sometimes they're not the most elegant, but, but they, they get the job done. So as we find these things in the digital forensics reporting environment, what would be some of the things that you would copy down um, for your notes or for the actual report itself? No, that's great. Um, in a forensic investigation, I've either got a notepad right down here or I've got um, one note up on my other screen or some type of note-taking tool. Um, I am taking note of all the tools I use um, sometimes if I have to type in a command, I'll notate the command I used or I'll save it off somewhere just so I can repeat that process again, if I need to, because everything we do in forensics has to be repeatable. And then I'm always going to, I'm going to notate the results and, and they're kind of contemporaneous notes. So if, if I'm using some type of note taking thing, I'm going to snip a screenshot and drag it over and put it in my notes, or I'm going to write down what I did and what the result was so that can be a little cumbersome these days. So we, we do you know, rely more on digital notes than, than handwritten notes because it, you know, tr you try writing out a 30 character hash and, and, and not messing it up. I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to trust myself to remember it either <laughs> as yeah. I'm typing it. Um, but, but the, I the, the, quite frankly, the idea is Jack is, is so that I do an investigation and you can read my notes and you can recreate every single thing that I did. Exactly. Um, with that, I mean, we, we even get to the point of at point, you know, at times copying down the version number of the software that we're utilizing for the investigation as well. So, right. Right. So we'll, up. Oh, we got Shellback Explorer open now. So uh, we have a couple options where we can load the active registry or we can load an offline hive. Since we're working in forensics, we've already preserved this. So let's fire up this offline hive.
Uh, we're going to have a look and see what this does for us here. So first thing is, is that we, we get a uh, just just a, some little statistics on what we found. So we found 63 shell bags. We can see user property views. We can see some user browsing activity. We see some drive letters, and then we see some file contents that were manipulated and utilized. And we see uh, you know network locations. Sh shell bags have really started solving cases for us. So we can pop in here. Just browser around here. So, what we can see on this one here is we can see that the user actually accessed these directories and they access these files. And here's our date and timestamps for it. We can see that they accessed an E drive. Okay. Now, just remember with shell bags, this isn't exactly like we're we're looking at files moving around. This this is a record of what. Windows Explorer has viewed. But we can kind of get a sense when we look through here as to what all the user has gone in and done on this. Look, it looks like they modified the Windows firewall. And then we get some date and timestamps here on their interactions. And look, that might be something I'm interested in, right, Jack? What do you think? Xfil? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and sometimes this is what you get to browse around in here. Um, th this one is actually related to the, uh, to the lab. So um, we're, we're looking for what we'll say is contraband in the lab. And we, so we do like to do real life situations. Um, so if you were doing this lab in real life, and we're just kind of going through it right now, um, we would be looking for um, um, some pictures of cats, which for, for the purposes of some of these labs are identified as contraband. So, but we have a really good hint of, of where to start. I mean, the folder's named Dexville, you know, that's yeah. a, <laughs> it doesn't get any more on the nose than that. I mean, maybe yeah. not malware. No, it doesn't. But you know what, in my experience, uh, from incident response, I, I do have threat actors that will just flat out name a folder Xville, you know. Yeah, no, it, I've also ran into those cases too. You name them Xville, you name them. Um, I also like scripts that are named randomly for what they do, like password grabber or things like that. Like they don't change the default values. Yep, yep. So let's have a look at prefetch files. Let me find prefetch explorer here real quick. I think they put it somewhere else. Does anybody in the comments uh, know what uh, what prefetch files do? Prefetch files are kind of a <laughs> prefetch files are kind of a an older thing that happened with our uh, our HDDs where. Uh, it took some time to load some executable files. So what Windows would do is it would record some of the memory it needed. 
to to load the program right and when yeah there you go i see somebody posted in there and so instead of executing all the program commands um the prefetch file will will just shove that right into right into memory um so that's a windows purpose but what we forensics do is we can see a record of those prefetch files when they were executed dates timestamps those sorts of things and so that really gives us um, that evidence of execution really helps when we are looking for malware so from uh the bearded it dad uh can you do a search or do you just have to browse it uh, through this program sometimes you I, you know, I don't use this the tool so much. The this one, um, let's see. We browse it. Yeah, it's mostly it's browsing. Again, remember these are simple tools. These are very simple tools. So as we're waiting for the program to load, I will say uh, th there was a question on. Uman Mill, will there be an update on the digital forensics course? Actually, it's funny you mentioned <laughs> that <laughs> with uh, Jason on on air right now. It's because that's actually what he's working on, hence why he's uh, so in tune with our labs and our environment. Yes, there will be a, an update coming. We are actually working to um, not only transition a lot of the slide content into videos, but also to break it up into two separate ones, which is analyst level, which is great for instant response and you know the day-to-day -day operations versus professional level, which is the deep dive I'm going into a courtroom. So great question. And yes, we are working diligently towards that and expect that release to come sometime soon. Uh, this tool's not working quite what, how I want it to. This is the field, guys. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the, <laughs> welcome to the live show, the demo. This is sometimes just how it goes. <laughs> it, it is, and yeah, this is kind of crazy. But we'll for par, I mean, this is, this is sometimes in, when you're doing digital forensics or instant response, the tools just don't want to play nice with the operating system for a second. You know, you got to pat it and tell it sweet nothings, and then all of a sudden it starts working. <laughs> and then sometimes the operator can't do it the right way. There we go. Chateau, what? All our tools work perfectly 100% of the time. Yes, that's why we have such a budding industry of tools and vendors in the cybersecurity marketplace, because everything <laughs> works all the time. Let's try a... Uh... You know, Jason, it's a good conversation point, actually. Do you think you've really, like, made it in instant response or digital forensics until you want to throw a computer out the window? I think I think that you do want to throw the computer out the window uh, sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think so. I, especially when you know that something should work and it doesn't want to work, right? It's, 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 like, it's like taking that, that copy machine out. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep, to, yeah, that is one of my... If you are, are unfamiliar with the video, I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, I believe it's <laughs> off space, but you know, uh, the particular scene he's talking about is just, it is, I have seen it on the walls of so many IT rooms, just pictures of it, 
where they take a printer that refuses to print out into the field and just beat it with bats and their fists too. But <laughs> so, it's excellent. <laughs> we're almost uh, Bob, there. Bob, is this a pre-configured tool or are you required to have a deep knowledge of Windows? Um, I'll, you know, I'll let Jason answer that. Um, again, these tools, they're so straightforward that they don't really require a deep knowledge as to see them. Um, what they do real require is an understanding of what you're looking at. I think that's kind of what I, where I'll go with that one. So let's see which one the lab. The lab wants us to look at icon. Okay, I've got something up here now. We, we, we kind of switched from, uh, from prefetch files here on this one. Um, but now we're looking at thumbnails. All right. So if we are looking for pictures, if we are looking for evidence of pictures being there, has anybody noticed that you can delete pictures in Windows, right? You hit Control-A, you hit Delete, and they go away, right? Do you guys know that they don't truly go away? It's kind of like with your phone, right? You know, you, you need to delete the pictures from your, your photos and from your camera reel at also, right? Um, so with this, what we're looking at is we're looking at the, uh, the thumbs.db file little cache files of those pictures will remain in there even after the file is deleted. So we always have a record. It's just using these little windows tricks and bugs to, to complete an investigation. Absolutely. Yeah. So this kind of goes back to what we were talking about previously, where you will use multiple ways and methods of finding the same event repeated over and over again. So that way you can demo it and show that, you know, this did in fact occur at this time as substantiated by these three pieces of evidence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even if you're deleting, and I did see a comment about there that prefetch is disabled on servers and workstation. Uh, that use SSDs. That is true. However, mm -hmm. it however the, the the what gets us is that it is not true if it was upgraded. So if you were say running Windows Seven or Windows Eight and you upgraded, then that 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 flag will be there and it'll be like that for servers. Or if you upgraded to an SSD, so there's all these little little tricks to to Windows, right? Yeah. Sigfredo, will any of these tools mess with the timestamps? No, no, we are, we are being fully forensic with these tools. These tools actually independently parse the file. They don't actually really open the file, right? So it's like a big text parser. Um, just going to comment real quick from Nat Computers. The video is not clear. Can we do something? Um, Nat, so because of the way that the virtual environment is not really easy to zoom in here. However, right. these labs are up and available for you to walk through yourself as well on our platform. So feel free. Uh, the link's been dropped a couple times in chat, um, but it is the digital forensics professional uh, lab as well. So you can engage and see yourself to blow it up really big as, as well too. So now we're looking at some jump lists. Can you talk about the jump list in there? Uh, what specifically they're attached to as far as events go? Sorry, what? I lost that. 
Hey, I sorry. I said, uh, can you talk a little <laughs> bit about jump lists, please? Yeah, yeah. So um, ju jump lists are, are going to be our most recently used files. So it's going to be a list of of again of of just where we've been and where and and where the user's gone. So if you, if you kind of click on and you see the uh, see if we can do it. Uh, this is Windows Eight, isn't it? We don't have Word on here or anything like that. But if you have those little, uh, when you see the most recently accessed files tied into Internet Explorer or Chrome or really commonly Word, Excel, those are a lot of my targets for jump lists. Um, this is what this is a, a record of here. And so again, that's just uh, correlating. Okay, the user, we, we use our shell bags. We saw the user browse through Windows Explorer. We might have a prefetch file execution of Word, and then we can see in jump list that they used Word to access something. Mm -hmm. And then we can see that file being open and accessed on here. Um, looking through here for the one that I wanted to see. Excellent. Uh, comment real quick, Chateau from uh, D Chateau. A lot of Mark uh, Rusnovic's Windows internals books are good source if you want to get a better understanding of Windows under the hood. Could help provide more context for what some of these tools are accessing within Windows. A hundred percent agree. That is yeah. an excellent resource. I've read both of them myself and the version updates too. Yeah, I do too. And that's a key point right there, Jack, the version updates. Um, um, we kind of joke about in forensics, you know, what, what Microsoft giveth, they also take it away. Um, <laughs> um, and with Windows 10 and Windows 11, they actually took away a, a lot of features that we, we were starting to rely on. Um, if you want to talk about like, uh, there used to be a Windows timelining feature, which you could actually uh, track like window focuses and stuff like that. They threw that in in one version of Windows and they took it away the next. Yeah. So, um, but, but being up to date on your operating systems are is really key. There's another author out there called Harlan Carvey, and he does the same thing. Um, he basically updates his books every time Microsoft releases a new version of, of Windows. And it seems like the books are repetitive, but there's always that little bitty thing that they've done in there to change things up. Yeah, I will say that it's like reading a car manual, extremely technical and very <laughs> can be difficult to get through, but uh, really good information to understand mm -hmm. and know. For some reason, it was supposed. It wanted to load all. It didn't want to load all of these. There we go. Excellent. There we go. So here we go. We can see a jump list. App used was Windows Chrome. Unknown app IDs on these, but we can see. There we go. Via jump list and in map scan. So that can be good notes. So so that would be that somebody used this system to run in map, which again is a that can be a key point to find out in an investigation. Mm -hmm. Should generally be setting off a lot of bi really big red flags if you have in-map running from a system that you weren't expecting. It, it, it should be, but but as we know that, you know, that that's uh, just, just within our IT stacks, some companies aren't looking for that stuff. Um, some companies yeah, start looking for that stuff after a breach. <laughs> I always ran into the issue of trying to convince business leaders that what their local IT staff is doing is bad. Like, I just saw you using Hiren's boot disk, which if you guys don't know, that can be used for password cracking as well locally. And I once had to explain to a business leader, hey, this guy is 
bypassing our security standard and we're not putting that computer back on until you clean it up. And yeah, it's fun. It's fun. So I'm going to jump over to a different lab right now. We're going to do some wire sharking real quick. So I'm firing that lab up. Excellent. So the, uh, we're going to be analyzing some certificates and traffic. There you go. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Windows taking away my RSAT tools from the bearded IT dad. Very nice. Shout out to the higher ends, man. Haven't heard that name in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. This was all actually not that long ago, surprisingly of all things. Um, but yeah, higher ends is one, uh, another one was Nmap. I've, I would find Nmap on random administrators, administrators, computers. And you know, it was, we're debugging the network. Okay. Well then use Wireshark, man. Don't use Nmap. <laughs> Do you know how many flags I get whenever you install and use Nmap? Yep, I'm. I go away. I used to use tools like Nmap. Oh, back when it was a. Uh, I'm sorry, Wireshark. Back when like what well, Windows have one that they provided, and you used to use that to figure out um, all the uh, all when, when there was somebody. Oh, the Browse Master collisions. That's what I was mm. thinking of. That, that's way back into Windows 98, and when when you mix <laughs> Windows 98 and Windows NT in the same environment, and and things went poorly. <laughs> back when you could have broadcasting storms, and that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you used to have to actually watch basically Wireshark traffic and figure out who the offender was, <laughs> and then go and solve the problem. Are you are you, are you telling me you back on the token ring days of uh, network topology? I, I, I am dating myself a little bit, um, <laughs> but typically you'd, you'd see something going on. The phone would, would go ringing cr like crazy, and. Uh, you just go look at the network closet and you'd see all the, all the lights pulsing. <laughs> like, uh-oh, fire up the Back network. Back in my day, token ring was a physical token I handed left and right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, D Chateau, yeah, there, there are legitimate use cases for Nmap um, yeah. for network system admins. I thoroughly agree with that. Um, you just have to do the whole, is it authorized activity? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so we got our lab fired up here. One thing again, uh, looking at this, we are in uh, lab 24. If you guys want to have a look at this on another day in the future, we walk through just looking at, you know, what is an SSL certificate, right? So let's browse to the right spot here. Now that I'm back in, in Linux. think we're in module five. Let me see. No, module eight. Oh, module seven. As you're doing this little comment from Bob, Bob, I like the pace of this demo, basically how you would flow during a real investigation. I think that's no truer words have been said. Mm -hmm. Pretty common for even when I was doing it in a, you know, sock environment, I would sit at somebody's shoulder and, you know, talk like this back and forth and <laughs> about relevant things or non-relevant things till they could show oh, yeah. me what, what is going on, you know? It actually kind of reminds me of a of like an incident conference bridge sometimes. Mm -hmm. What our labs kind of also do too is, is they don't just 
show you how to do something without some understanding. So like in this lab, the first thing they want you to do is just have a look at a certificate, right? What is, what is a digital certificate? What does it look like? What are the important parts about it? You know, in, in, in this one, we looked through it, we got some contact information, we've got the serial number for the certificate. And then if we browse down through here somewhat, we can see the uh, what was used to create it. Right? And it should be a SHA-1 with RSA, which is what it is. All right, so we just have a look at it, but then we flip over to Wireshark. And let's load up this PCAP. So what do we see in here? We see a lot of traffic. The problem is with this is when we start looking at what's going on here. Right. This is the problem, right? When we're looking at port 443 traffic, we can't really see any of this stuff, can we? It's SSL. It's designed for us not to see it. Typically in a forensic investigation, um, we can do things where we can ask for certificates, especially if we want to analyze encrypted traffic. Right? Um, because when we want to say, look at the TCP stream on this, we don't get, we don't really get anything, do we? There's just junk in there. So what can we do about it? We can load the certificate. Has anybody ever loaded the certificate into Wireshark? References. What we want to do is we run down here and we, yeah. It's amazing what happens, isn't it? We want to find TLS. We edit the RSA keys. The first thing we want to do is we want to punch in the IP address that we want to look at. Four four three. We want to see what types of HTTP traffic in here, and then we have to pick our file. We're going to use this key down here, test key two dot pem, and it should work. Now, when we go look for SSL traffic. Decrypted.
right? And then we can still, and, and, and this tripped me up the first time I did it too, but we still want to follow the TLS stream on that. Even, even though it's H, even though we can see the HTTP now, we want to follow TLS stream. And what we get is a decrypted representation of the web page. And uh, if you go back to your original Wiresharking where you did the follow TCP stream and you were able to download and extract file contents, that kind of stuff, you could take this lab further like, like that and then you would be able to extract things like files and all their web browsing activity. This is very similar to what you see on these Gen 7, on, on these next-gen firewalls that will, uh, you know, that they'll, they'll, they'll strip out your SSL data, they'll put there in and they'll do the, the inspections and then send it out as if it was encrypted. Very similar concept. Um, but this is a good, good way to look at the encrypted traffic going over a network. So a uh, question from Bob Bob in the lab scenario, where would, where did you get that key? And I think they mean like, where would, in the scenario, where would you have grabbed the pen file? The pen file, that's a good question. Whenever I'm doing forensics and whenever I'm doing uh, an IR, my, one of my questions and my standard kind of intake of the case is, are you using encryption? And then the answer is yes, no, maybe we don't know, right? Um, if we, if we, if they say yes, it's can you provide me the keys? If, if they cannot provide you the keys, then um, you're kind of at a loss in the, in this scenario. Um, but but if you're in a large domain, or if if the if your admins have encrypted the information on purpose, then they will have a key that they can provide you. In most cases. Excellent. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, encryption. You always have to ask. Don't it, you can't really decrypt it. I, I, at least I wouldn't try. I don't. Okay. Well, those are the two labs that I came up with for this. I think that they. Uh, I really enjoyed. I really liked showing how we can we can decrypt SSL traffic, and then of course I always love the user generated activity. And yeah, Bob, Bob, if they cooperate. But remember, they're coming to you to solve their problem. So they should be cooperating. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. But I mean, with that though, you know, one of the things that I like, and while we had a couple of hiccups, which the forensics tools on Windows, they're going to be hiccups. Um, you know, it is in browser access though. I remember whenever I was starting up having to spin up so many VMs and get, you know, pull stuff down and everything else. And I don't know if anybody else has gone through the uh, lovely lovely pain that is trying to get defender to stop deleting your forensic data because it contains malware. <laughs> um, it makes it may it makes it much more, you know, accessible, I would I would argue uh, being virtualized and just a simple click away with the URL. Yeah, working in VMs, I think that's what what we tend to like to do the most. I mean, it, it's a lot easier to blow away a VM also when you're done with your investigation than it is to reimage your forensics workstation, which is what we used to do in the bad old days. You know, mm -hmm. now now I can just hit the delete button in VMware and and then do create new for a new case. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, but yeah, if I, if I do have like forensics break boxes where Defender is basically turned off unless I mm -hmm. want to scan for malware because I you know you know as you well know sometimes we we need to generate that malware activity so we can see what it does. The Defender is a pain for me because I will even get reports from people trying to pass a certification exam, but because it has strings in it that are malware adjacent, Defender will delete the PDF. 
it's yeah. fun. It's fun. Yeah. It's, uh, um, but you know, at least, you know, I, I think I was doing a ransomware investigation once and I loaded up a customer hard drive, just like Bob, Bob says, he's a set of hard drive. And the first within seconds of loading up the hard drive, even, even from an image, it, we, we had to do a live mount. And, and within seconds, it was like, I deleted the maze. It's like, well, I guess we know it was on here. <laughs> That's good. I think one of my favorite ones is um, when I was doing IR on a sock desk, I got a ticket in because somebody flagged for like 2,200 AV alerts within a couple seconds. And what happened was is the individual came back from a deployment, plugged into our regular network with a hard drive that he had on deployment, and it was extremely dirty and filled with viruses. Um, and what I loved about it though, was it was my old boss <laughs> and I <laughs> happened since I had left him, I had moved into the sock analyst role and position and stuff. And so I'm having to write a ticket up on my old boss who had just deployed and gotten back and everything else like that. So it was great whenever it's like, Hey, yeah, you know, that hard drive you plugged in, just take it outside and shoot it, man. It's not going back on the, it's not going back on the uh, network. I love the, uh, on those, I love the false positives, positives you had to treat as real. And that's, oh, yeah. uh, for every Mac update, right? They don't whitelist their files before they issue their updates. So, so they'll mm -hmm. throw out like a, a, a Mac OS update and, and, and all the sock alarms will go off on malware because it's an unknown file. <laughs> yep. Yep. Very much so. And what, what's also great about that too, is whenever you have a primary windows IT environment and all of a sudden graphic designers just have a random Mac in there and. The Windows guys are like looking at you like, what do you mean? You know, it's <laughs> that that's the way I, that that's actually what went through my head because I think that was the media department where that happened to me at. <laughs> Common, very frequent where I get into an enterprise environment and all of a sudden it's just this section of Max and I'm like, let me guess, marketing? You know, <laughs> graphic designers, illustrators. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I, I don't know why they don't. It, it's the only operating system that I see do that in the SOC, but it, it sets off file integrity management. It sets off uh, AV. It sets off everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jason, I got to say, uh, this is this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for the demo. Um, look forward to talking to you again real soon about everything and seeing, you know, as we uh, as we progress with what's the next digital forensics course? I believe that you're coming out with soon. Um, well, we're, we're working on, uh, on, on revamping the digital forensics courses. So I think what, you, what you're going to see is you're going to see that, uh, that digital forensics professional, but, you know, updated and, and with videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the next one you've got coming out, what is it? File, file and disk analysis? File and disk. Yep. File and disk. Yep. That's the next course coming from you. Excellent. So looking forward to that dropping as well for the community and everything. So I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye to you for now and wrap this up. I appreciate well, you. Thanks a lot.